This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the first show of the week where we talk about some news and a couple of restaurants we've eaten at recently. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right in the news of the week. Topic number one. I've been saving this for you. Texas Monthly named its top 25 new and improved barbecue joints in Texas. There are four Houston restaurants on the list. They are J Bar M, Brisket and Rice, Bar A Barbecue, and Rosemeyer Barbecue. Michael, that's it's worth noting. This is this is kind of the the two-year update in between Texas Monthly's quadrennial. 50 best barbecue joints in Texas list that every uh, every barbecue restaurant in the state sort of obsesses over. Uh, so 25 new is kind of a sneak peek, right? It, it gives us a, a taste of what may or may not make uh, the top 50 that'll come out in 2025. And it also spotlights some places that have opened since uh, the last top 50 was published in 2021. So I say all that to say to you, what do you think about this list of the top 25 new and improved barbecue joints in Texas? Uh, I mean, I think it's really reflective of how dynamic the barbecue scene is in Texas, how deeply entrenched central Texas style barbecue is. Uh, and that's still really the base for it. Um, but that, you know, we're seeing all these different influences come to, to come to bear and it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, it, 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 it there's constantly new places opening and and just the bar is now so high since, you know, let's let's call it what it is. You know, the Aaron Franklin revolution uh, that a lot of these new places are just really they're outstanding. Uh, and some, you know, get off to a rocky start and but then they figure it out. And Daniel Vaughn, you know, who is, of course, the barbecue editor and just logs an, an obscene amount of miles uh, and calories in assessing all these places and he comes back to them multiple times he's he's by you know he really does his homework uh so I, it, it one it's a legitimate list to be sure i mean he their their credentials are well deserved uh but two it really like i like i said before it really reflects the the, the dynamic quality of texas barbecue it's exciting well you know you you say that it sort of shows off the the spread of central texas barbecue but i i think part of what's so interesting about this list is that it it shows how all of these other influences are kind of creeping in, right? If you think about brisket and rice, they have that whole uh, Vietnamese thing going on. If we look sort of outside of of Houston, uh, there's KG Barbecue in Austin. It's known for its Egyptian flavors. And then Smoke and Ash in Dallas is Ethiopian influenced. And and both of them have gotten uh, quite a bit of attention. So, you know, I, I think what counts as barbecue these days has gotten so much broader and so much bigger. And, and this list really reflects that. Oh, 
Absolutely, it does, and that's you know that's that's mentioning the the, the obvious that's there. I, I think what's worth mentioning though, what's worth mentioning also is, and, and I go back to like what the guys at um, Blood Brothers did is they understood like, hey, we gotta we're gonna nail the Texas Trinity first, and then we're gonna bring these other things to bear. That you know we're not just we're not just doing this to be different. And although I have not been to all of the new places, particularly in the Dallas area, you know, the people I talked to have been to them said, look, man, they're doing, you know, uh, yeah, you can go to the Ethiopian one, you know, and get the kafta, you know, you go to where you can get a lamb rice bowl. Uh, but what they're doing is they're, they're nailing the ribs and they're nailing the brisket. And they, they, you know, that's like the bread and butter and then bringing these other things to bear, you know, barbecue, it's a hard, business it's not just hard physically on you but it's hard financially like it's not this huge profit margin and differentiating yourself from the pack is is certainly a wise move because then you're going to get people who are willing to travel for that as opposed to just being you know part of the neighborhood now attending to your neighborhood is what's going to keep you keep the doors open all the time but you know becoming something more of a destination also brings all these other things to bear and that can that can make the difference between being profitable and closing your doors right i mean i, I think part of what you're you're kind of getting at is that you know if we look at you know killen's barbecue opened we'll celebrate its 10-year anniversary next year right that was kind of the kind of in the vanguard of houston barbecue joints that, that kind of took that that Franklin model of, of prime beef and traditional techniques and aggressive seasoning and, and all that kind of stuff and ran with it. And, and 10 years ago, that was enough, right? The, you know, huge line, big crowd, a lot of attention. And now, you know, we have so much new and, and very good barbecue kind of scattered throughout the city that, you know, just doing that, you're right. Like it's, it probably wouldn't register beyond, its immediate neighborhood. And, and certainly, you know, if I, if I follow like Russell Ragel's uh, Facebook posts about their operation in Katy, it, it seems like, you know, they're, they're kind of struggling to find an audience, even in an area that from my outside perspective is a little underserved. And so thinking about kind of these new places, you, you really do have to do something kind of special to stand out. You know, even if you think about, you know, J bar M and Edo, they operate, kind of as, as both the barbecue restaurant for lunch and then a, a steakhouse almost in the evenings with a, with a whole grill menu. That's not just, you know, plates of brisket and ribs. So I, you know, I, I do think we're, we're kind of seeing the barbecue scene mature and, and this list kind of reflects that, that, that you it's, it's, if you want attention, right. If you want the attention, Texas monthly, just making, you know, brisket and ribs and coleslaw and potato salad, probably not going to cut it anymore. I, I think, we're, we're we're both hitting the same point here, and that you know these these differentiations, these bringing these other items, these other cooking techniques, are are huge. But you look at some place like Bar, you know, uh, I always have a hard time saying this. Bar ABQ up in Montgomery, uh, Cooper Abercrombie in Montgomery County, who's been operating that for a little over a year now, and he's just doing basic. You know, he's doing Trinity. He's like a lot of places now. He's making his own sausage, and he's serving prime, you know, brisket. And he, you know, the the price reflects that. But he's doing. He's just killing it. He's doing a great job. And uh, the same thing with Rosemeyer. They're in Spring, actually, not too far from 
our friends at Corkscrew. Uh, and I think they're, I, I think Rosemeyer's only open three, if not four nights a week, you know, four days a week, excuse me. Uh, but they're doing a great job and they're killing it with the basic, you know, the ribs, the sausage, the brisket, and occasionally a special therein. They're doing, like I said, something very basic to that, what we talked about. So I think there's there's plenty of room for both uh, to happen. And uh, I think if, if you do a really good job uh, and you're committed to your quality and you stay the course, then, you know, uh, if, I think you'll be acknowledged for that. And hopefully the crowds will uh, will show up for you. Well, sure. And, and of course, with Bar A, I mean, you know, we talk about Montgomery. I mean, you know, just thinking about like, you know, both of us live in in central Houston. I mean, Bar A is is more than an more than an hour drive for us. I mean, you know, Teos, Teos is is almost an hour and that's in Tomball. And this is this is way beyond, you know, this is way beyond that. So, yeah, I think if you open in these, you know, more outlying areas, I mean, you know, when I was growing up in Houston, Montgomery was the country, you know, and now it's basically like Conroe is is people live in Conroe to commute to the Woodlands and Montgomery is like barely anywhere. So it's just a very different uh, it's a very different perspective. But but I mean, I, I have not been to Bar A yet. I haven't been to Brisket and Rice, which is way out in West Houston. I mean, which of these which of these places have you been to? What what you know, if if someone is like us, you know, lives in the middle of Houston and is like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to make the commitment. I'm going to try one of them other than J Bar, which obviously is, is very centrally located. Where would you send people? Uh, my first choice would be Bar A Barbecue up in Montgomery, and what they're doing up there is it's really solid. Uh, you know, just the the quality of it is outstanding. But uh, you know, I've had the stuff from Rosemar. I have not been to Brisk and Rice. I've had their their food. It's been brought to me. Uh, you know, after I was not far from there, and it was it was excellent. So I haven't been to all of them yet either. But like, if you if you push me to say, hey, go to one, it would be Bar A BQ up in. Uh, and Montgomery. And, and you make a, a great point in that we're, we're talking about all these places that are part of or near, you know, large metropolitan areas. And of course, you know, uh, real estate prices being what they are sometimes dictate where you're going to plant your your tent as it would be. And as these cities expand, you know, they expand into them. And, and it's it, it, it's a much harder to go to a really small town. Like, let's say someone like uh, Mimsy's has gone to Crockett you know, and, and plant your flag and say, okay, we're going to thrive here. That, that that represents even more challenges. But uh, regardless, it's just, I think it's exciting, you know, because I think we have a great, you know, incredible barbecue scene in Houston. And, and, and I was just up in Dallas and I spent several days there and, and hit as many as I could. And it was, it's really exciting there. And they're both just continuing to go. They're very dynamic areas. Uh, some interesting things happening in San Antonio. Finally, that's been kind of a static area, surprisingly, at least to me. And Austin is Austin, of course. Right. Austin is Austin. You know what? Just one more thing. And because we just didn't touch on it. And I think it's worth mentioning. Um, and that's what's going on in Lockhart. The three young women who open Barb's BQ, you know, right now they're only open on Saturdays. These, uh, you know, the story normally would be, oh, this is an all female owned and operated you know, barbecue place. And that certainly has a, a you know, it certainly is a, a hook, you know, a certainly uniqueness, but everyone I've talked to who's been there, I haven't made it there yet is really just screaming at me going, you got to get there. The, the last place I remember opening that had this kind of hype from the people whose opinions I really respect was, uh, uh, in Seguin, 
yeah, burnt yeah, bean. It, it hasn't. Yeah, no, no barbecue joint since burnt bean has received as much hype as barbecue is receiving right now. Yeah, and and the and the people I've talked to who have gone there said, hey, it lives up to the hype. So, you know, a shout out to them, uh, and a shout out to myself to get myself there uh, on a Saturday, and hopefully they'll expand service. But I thought it was worth touching on that. All right. That does it for topic number one. Let's move on to topic number two. Fubbin Trailer, the the original location of the Fubbin Empire, has closed permanently. Uh, that restaurant is in South Houston, off of uh, way off of Fuquay and Beamer. It it opened in in 1983. Uh, unfortunately, it suffered a fire, and, and the family has just decided that they're they're not going to rebuild. But but you know, Michael, around the time you and I met. In the late aughts, there there was a moment when food writers and and you know food obsessives were driving from all over Houston to have the pho at Fubbin Trailer, and and so I just I just wanted to know, do you have any any fond memories of that period of time? Any, anything you'd like I, to say about Fubbin Trailer? I, I remember almost being dragged there uh, the first time. I'm like, why are we going all the way over here to Beamer Road? You know, to this little hole in the wall when there was plenty of a pretty good pho all around us in between asia town and you know the midtown area and i went there and, I, and of course i had it and i understood it was just you know you know it's like when you move from that 95th percentile and you move up into that 99th percentile it's like that that's like the hardest chasm to traverse and it was just it was it was worthy of traveling yeah, you know, and you're just in this little trailer and it was fantastic. And and they did it their way. They're like, hey, we're going to close for, you know, a month and a half in the summer and we're going to go back to Vietnam or or, or take a trip. Uh, and they kind of did it on their own and created this incredible reputation that, you know, clearly it's like it's all the press that they've gotten on this is, you know, it's been a big deal. But their their legacy will be longstanding, to be sure. Well, yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to get too nostalgic for for people who weren't you know paying attention to the food scene at this point getting to be almost 15 years ago but but this was that kind of moment in time when uh david buer of greenway coffee which was then tuscany coffee had this whole uh community of of chefs that like to go there and and then you know food writers and and people like me this is before i was a food writer i was just i was just a guy who liked to eat too much but we would all sort of congregate around this this coffee shop in greenway plaza and and David was an advocate for for this restaurant that he had grown up with that he he knew about from from living down there in that part of the city and working down there. Uh, and he, you know, you say you were dragged. It was probably David who dragged you. Yeah, uh, it was. you know, and and he dragged the food critics at the time, Allison Cook for the Chronicle, uh, Rob Walsh for the Press, and and they wrote about it, and it and it built up this reputation, and and so yeah, it became a thing, you know, to to make the to make the drive to Beamer Road, you know, for this like very balanced, like very, very well spiced, very clear pho broth with with fresh meats and uh, everything, you know, and the and the veggies and the crunch of the the bean sprouts. There's just a little bit, a little bit more flavorful, a little more balanced, a little better cooked, you know, the noodles and everything than than any other pho restaurant. And, and of course, you know, now there's pho bins in in various parts of the city owned by different members of the family. But, you know, for my money, I think it's still, of the ones I've been to, it's still Fubbin by night on the western edge of, of Bel Air, on the on the western edge of what we would consider to be Chinatown. That's the closest to that 
original taste and experience. Yeah, and it seemed, uh, uh, you know, they had the two rooms you go to, and even though it was kind of random where they put you, it always seemed to be, there was like all the these old Asians in one room, and then there was everybody else in the other room. I was always in the other room. Uh, I guess that's just the way that worked out. Yeah, well, you had that charming view of the the drainage ditch right next door. The, <laughs> True the, story. the scenic, the scenic verdant drainage bayou ditch, whatever you want to call it. Um, all right. And then topic number three, Bodega's taco shop owner, Ryan Granger, is opening a new restaurant in the museum district. It will be called Granger's, uh, very helpfully, whereas Bodega's and, and Fia's Pizzeria's other restaurant are counter service. Uh, this will be full service. It'll be a little more upscale. He's kind of inspired by restaurants like Houston's. Michael, what do you think? Have you have you ever been to Bodega's Taco Shop? And and what do you think about Ryan Granger's plans to open more of a, I mean, not a fine dining restaurant, but a certainly an, an elevated neighborhood restaurant in the museum district? I, I think I actually went to the, doesn't he own the pizza place? Is it? He does. Uh, it's called Fia's. Yeah, Fia's. Yeah, I actually. Fia uh, Pizzeria. You're because you're you've got the museum district, and you've also got your you're really kind of up uh, right near the whole medical center. And I I think I was actually visiting one of my doctors, and I went and had pizza. That was the the limit of my experience from that. Usually, when I go to the museum, I, I might go to their coffee shop, but you know, I don't avail myself of dining there normally. I I you know I'll eat in somewhere in Montrose or someplace nearby. So. I can't really speak very well uh, on one way or the other because I don't have much experience other than a few slices of pizza. Right, right. But, you know, certainly Bodegas has been a staple for more than a decade. It caters very well to, I mean, and FIA, right? They they both cater very well to, you know, museum visitors, like you said, med center workers and, and visitors, as well as residents of the museum park neighborhood, right? So it's, you know, from my perspective, I like that he's stepping up. I like that he's saying, you know, we know this neighborhood well and, and, we're going to try something a little different. And, and I think, uh, you know, as someone who doesn't live very far from that part of Houston, I I'm, I'm excited about this. I think it's, you know, these kind of classic, get a steak, get a salad, get a burger, get a sandwich, you know, whether it's Houston's or relish or, or even Jay Alexander's, you know, there's, I feel like there's a pretty dependable audience for them. Oh, so they're going to be that up. It's going to be like that upscale having, you know, that's, steak that's the goal. Home. Yeah. That's the goal. Oh, well, that is interesting. I mean, there's no shortage of people over there. You've got huge towers on the war, you know, the old Warwick and and those, you know, upper six figure townhomes that are all there. Uh, you know, it's uh, a lot going on. Yeah. And that neighborhood's already supporting MF Sushi, obviously. They've got a, a Barnaby's. So, you know, I think something that kind of slots in between those two restaurants, I think I think that could be really appealing. Right on. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week, stick around. Michael, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about two places we've been to recently. well, both both for brunch, uh, strangely, but but that's how it sort of worked out. The first is Dante's River Oaks. This is uh, the new Italian restaurant on Mid Lane in the former Concura Italian Bites space. It comes to us from Brian Doak, who has been on this podcast before. He is the 
He was the founder of Savor and the Heights, although he's no longer affiliated with them. He also owns Heights and Co., which is a kind of a patio bar in the Heights. He's got a background from Tiny Boxwoods and some other places. I sell that to say to you. What did you think of our brunch at Dante's River Oaks? Man, it was it was good. I mean, I thought, okay, they're just, you know, they're just kind of their new place. They're just starting off the brunch. You know, it's four billion degrees outside. You know, we're gonna be the only ones in there. And I think there was one other table when we got there early. And by the end of our brunch, uh, the place was full. You know, it was a good looking crowd. Uh, you know, seeing people have steak tartare, you know, out for brunch. I thought, you know, okay, this is uh this is interesting because it's not just your basic brunch fare. Uh, we had like a really solid, you know, things like the avocado toast, but they also had this creamy ricotta toast that was just fantastic. You know, getting a good level of service too. So it, you know, it really fits a, a nice little niche that doesn't seem to uh, be anywhere, anything else in that area that uh, exists for that. So it, it looks promising. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, the only unfortunate thing about uh, going for brunch as opposed to dinner is that we didn't get any pasta, which is something they, you know, that's kind of prominently featured on their menu and that they take a lot of pride in. But, you know, we got that cold octopus salad with the arugula, uh, a dish I really enjoyed. We got that porchetta sandwich, which I thought was was really exceptional. And and we got deconstructed tiramisu, which I don't, I don't really feel like tiramisu needs to be deconstructed. I, I don't know that I'm uh, in favor of that, but it did it did work in the sense that it it did deliver the the right flavors of a tiramisu in a kind of a fun presentation. Well, I, I you know I mentioned this while we're dying. I can't stand deconstructed food. It just it, so the whole dog and pony show, which just seems like this real remnant of the the late nineties. You know, I I don't like to be told how I have to eat something in a particular way. Uh, I mean, part of like having a meal is is that these flavors are meant to coalesce in a certain way, and particularly on a, something like a tiramisu, which is, seems that seems almost like intrinsic that you'd have to have it together to have those flavors meld properly. So I went in predisposed to not liking it, and the you know the flavors and textures were really good. Now, I still don't like deconstructed. I wouldn't order again, but I got to say I enjoyed it. And there's nothing like being predisposed to not liking something when it wins you over uh, to make you something more of a, let's say, an advocate to be sure. Right. And, I, I you know, the other thing we didn't really sample again, because it was kind of the was kind of the afternoon is, you know, the pretty extensive wine list, mostly Italian, pretty well priced. Uh, they've got a whole cocktail thing going on, too. So I, I will say, you know, it, it's you know, maybe not, you know, we may not have given Dante's it's, it's full due by going for the afternoon, but, but I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we went and, and I, I really enjoyed everything. And, and I, I'd go back for dinner at heartbeat. Oh, I would too. I mean, there was, things were really well plated. They didn't just look good. They tasted good, you know, and that's always encouraging when, when both of those can come together nicely and that their use of fresh herbs, which is, you know, really a big part of, uh, especially Northern Italian cuisine, uh, was really nicely done. It really, that that bit of fresh herb, you know, whether it be like we had some dill with some ice cream, you know, or there was the fresh thyme we had with one of the toasts or the basil, you know, it was, it was well considered and well thought. And, and it wasn't just something like, okay, let's throw this on for a garnish. It really made a difference in the dish tasting better. And uh, that's, that's a really good sign of, of someone who knows what the hell they're doing. 
All right. So so let's help people out here a little bit, right? You and I have been to, to Numero 28, which is a, an Italian-owned Italian restaurant in Highland Village, kind of right behind the Apple Store. We've been to Dante's. And of course, we've been to Il Bracco, which is uh, maybe slightly more upscale, certainly more Italian-American. How do you how do you slot Dante's in with these other relatively new restaurants, both of which have been around for about a year? Um, you, I think their service is a little bit tighter at Dante's. You've got the white tablecloths. Uh, you have a much more extensive wine list. I think the food is much more particular to a region. You know, you mentioned El Bracco, which I love. El Bracco is definitely more American Italian, not Italian American, to be sure. I mean, it's delicious, but it is more. It leans more on that, um, more on that dynamic. I love Numero Twenty Eight because it has more of that small trattoria feel to it. You know, if we were in France, you might call it a bistro. Uh, it has a very homey feel to it. I mean, all these places. All I enjoyed all of them, and I'm not a brunch person either. I like. I don't want to. You know, I, I don't want to get up and go anywhere. I'm not part of the scene. I'm happy to stay home and cook. And now that, like, thank God it's football season, I can move right into, you know, everything that that represents, which is my couch. But um, getting out for doing these things, uh, you know, we were well, well rewarded with, you know, good meals and good service. So I, I would definitely, I would return to all of them. Uh, if you pushed me to say which one, it would depend on the context. If I was, you know, maybe, wanting to impress somebody, whether it's a relative or a date or something like that, I would probably go to Dante's. If I wanted something that was just like really homey and was just giving me a big hug, it would be numero 28. You know, if it was something that I just want, you know, that sort of consistency and that sort of safety of, uh, you know, of a more broad-based cuisine, that would be, uh, you know, El Braco, yes. Right, right. If you're going going with a group and, and you're not quite sure what everybody wants to eat, you know, the nice thing about Obraco is, you know, somebody can get the steak. Uh, you can even get a burger. It's it's flexible in that way. It's it's a bigger menu. And so it's got it's got more choices on it. Ah, uh, yes. The group dining. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> and then the other restaurant I want to talk to you about is Good Company Kitchen and Cantina. This is the kind of elevated Tex-Mex restaurant from, well, Good Company, the a restaurant group that we know well for their barbecue and their seafood and everything else. You and I went to the Heights location, which is on Yale Street, where Downhouse used to be. Before we talk about the food, I, I just got to say, I I was so impressed by the renovation because they they completely just flipped the way it was laid out from the Downhouse days on its head. Right? They 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 put the bar on on the far wall and and made it a whole lot bigger and gave it you know kind of a, a pretty sharp distinction between kind of that that bar area by the entrance and and the dining room, which is closer to the kitchen, and then. Uh, you know, they completely redid the patio. It looks great. So yeah, I just, uh, just really impressed by what they did to that building. Yeah. You know, when you're driving by a place and you see it, you know, it changes hand and you see them working on it, you know, or even if it's a new place, but really when it's like a new place and they, they took a while and you know, I'm like, what's taking so damn long guys. Come on. It's like, this is practically what, you know, we call an in industry, a turnkey, you know, place because downhouse was well laid out. And had already, you know, these things built in uh, that they could just kind of put their own artistic kind of touch on it. But they did completely rework it. And boy, it was great. You know, the you have this big, long bar, which was full, full of people waiting and full of, full of people dining there. 
They had separate tables just apart from that. So you could stay there just for drinks or you could, if you want, you could eat there. You know, it's not a big place, but they were full on a Sunday that was, you know, it's pretty damn hot out, but they, that place was full. There was people waiting. There was even people on the patio, you know, in this triple digit weather, there was just a few sparse tables there, but still, nonetheless, they were like, you know what? We want to eat here so bad. We're going to eat out here. And that speaks well. Right. So, all right. So what did you think of our food? I mean, you had, you had chilaquiles, right? Um, I no, had, you, had, you had huevos rancheros. I had huevos rancheros. I want to go for those kind of the classic. Um, and it's one, you know what? I got to say, I was surprised. It's one of the best huevos rancheros I've ever had in this town. Uh, you know, I, it was just, there's a couple of places in San Antonio and a few in, in New Mexico that really have my heart. But, you know, I, I could put this right up there with it. I, I was really surprised at how good it was. Uh, and I remember our, you know, our server mentioned, he goes, well, you know, it's got a little bit of heat to it. And, you know, that's a tricky thing sometimes adding, you know, chilies and adding heat. You know, you can't just throw in a Serrano or throw in jalapeno. Uh, you know, chilies can really add so much dynamic flavor to a dish when done correctly. And it was done correctly here. It was this back-ended heat. The eggs were cooked perfectly over easy. You know, there was crunch to my little tostada underneath. You know, the, the queso fresco was fine with the crema. Uh, you know, it's a simple dish, but they they nailed the execution and the flavor and texture were spot on. I would get it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, you know, the other thing I would get again are the pancakes. We got both like a cinnamon pecan and also a bananas foster. You know, I thought they were, you know, a good texture, right? Like fluffy you know, a little bit thick, soft, mild sweetness, but like very, very well cooked and just, you know, just very delicious, frankly. No, I agree. They are good. I'm always, I'm always a little worried about getting, you know, when you see something that says bananas foster, you know, or pecan streusel that it's just kind of overwrought with, you know, sweet ingredients on top. So it's just this kind of like treacly sort of dessert that's being served at breakfast, you know, and they didn't overdo it. Yes, it was as advertised. I got banana flavors on there. You know, uh, we got blueberry flavor on there, but it was restrained enough that it didn't overwhelm it. I'm still having the pancake experience. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm just having dessert here. It's a solid pancake or flapjack or griddle cake to however you want to put it but I call them pancakes. Uh, no, they were solid and I would get them again. Also, once again, that, that sort of that barometer that we use, would you get it again? I would get it again. The other thing was uh, we got a taco. The, I think it was the We got barbacoa. a barbacoa breakfast taco. Yeah, that barbacoa taco, man, solid tortilla. The flour tortilla was really good. Uh, and the barbacoa, great flavor and great texture on that. They nailed it. This is a really... Uh, they've earned the crowds that they've got in there. And, and I think they'll keep coming because that it was a pretty solid experience. I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think this is, you know, this is kind of their, you know, they have, they have good company Taqueria, which is uh counter service, very casual. It's been there on Kirby and West park for, I don't know, as long as I can remember anyway. And this is a little more elevated, right? Full service, more in the style of like an El Tiempo or a Papacitos. And, and I would say based on the quality of, of everything we ate that it, holds its own with, with any of them. And, and I was, uh, I was happy that we went and, and, you know, I got a, I got a Tex-Mex combination plate with, uh, with an enchilada and a, and a soft taco and, and they, they held up very well. Uh, what do you think of the, uh, the drink, the cocktail program or the, the margaritas? Well, I think, 
company has always had like really solid uh, tequila cocktails. And that that breakfast margarita with like just a little dollop of orange marmalade in it, I I just thought that was really fun, you know, because it it just it takes kind of what the the triple sec or whatever the the traditional orange component in them margaritas and just kind of turns it up a notch right a little sweeter a little more tart uh with that marmalade i i thought that was really fun yeah uh so once again would you go back again oh uh, yeah absolutely if i were i mean you know i think it would be a tough decision for me wanting Mix in the heights to get to decide between super rica and good company kitchen and cantina and it might just come down to do i want is there is there something specific on either menu, right? Like the, the mole enchiladas at, at Super Rica are great. You know, if I were craving one specific dish or another, uh, that that's probably what would decide it for me. Yeah, I think they're both solid. And I think there's, I think there's room for both of them to thrive, you know? Uh, you know, it's like the height, there's no shortage of, of restaurants in the heights. And uh, these, you know, I, I think this is a great addition and good companies really hit on something to be sure. Yeah, and that's why there's there's three locations of it, one in the Woodlands and one out uh, I-10, kind of in the Memorial Spring Branch area. And if the rumors are to believe, uh, more to come. So, you know, they, they certainly see opportunity here, and and I agree with them. I think, I think you know, you kind of look at, you look around the city and you look at uh, where other Tex-Mex restaurants are, and you could, you could probably put a kitchen and cantina right next to any of them. Very cool. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Join me Thursday when my guest will be Bobby Eagle.